Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I have a question for you. I often don't start off with questions. And don't worry, it's not a quiz question. Remember, we did that a couple weeks ago. And you all failed. But this is just a question. And I guess you answer a question depending on who's asking it. But it's really just a question for you. It's a question for you to think about for yourself. How would you answer? Answer for yourself, answer to someone asking you this question. It's the question, it is the title of this next series. It is, who is God? Who is God? What would you say to that question? Well, we're about to start, we are starting today, a new sermon series. It's going to last six months, 24 weeks. We are going to be answering every week, every Sunday, the question, who is God? And it's really going to be a Christianity 101. So I encourage you, I invite you over these next many, many weeks to come to invite your friends, invite non-Christians, invite people that maybe normally wouldn't come to church because this is going to be introductory. It's not going to be simple. We're not going to be talking about fluffy things. No, it's going to be talking about God, but we're going to talk about who he is, why we believe what we believe about God. And our goal, last week we did a Vision Sunday how many of you were here last week? I see those hands. Good. If, if you weren't here, it's a great message to go back and listen to because we talked about what our vision is, to bring disciples in, calling them to worship, connect, and to serve, to point people to the true source of life. And so our goal this year is to baptize more people than we did last year. Last year, uh, as you know, New Life is a bunch of different congregations, eight to be exact. We baptized, are you ready for this? 500 people. Praise the Lord, 500 people over all of our congregations and our hope this year, praise the Lord, is to baptize even more. Like, it, wouldn't it be amazing if we doubled those numbers, if we doubled the numbers we had here in Manitou, not just for the number's sake, but that more and more people, we are pointing to the cross. We are showing people who the Lord is and he loves us. So the point today The sermon title, if you're taking notes, I encourage notes, I'm a note taker. If you're writing down notes, if you're writing down the sermon title, it is God Loves You. That's how we're beginning this sermon. That's how we'll end this sermon. That's the title, the answer to the question, who is God? It starts off with, well, God is the one that loves you. He loves you. He loves me. I think most of us in here probably just know that. If if we're like, oh yeah, Christianity, we believe in a God that loves us. But do we know it? Have we brought that into our hearts? So would you stand with me today? We're going to read a passage of scripture, Exodus 34. These are some words about God from God. And so here's what it says, Exodus 34, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So there's a backstory here, and we will get to this backstory later in this sermon. We'll we'll be talking about this passage all along. God says to Moses, verse two, be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me me on top of the mountain. Verse three, no one is to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may gaze in front of the mountain. Verse four, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stones tablets in his hands. And when the Lord had come down, 
in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And notice here, the, the Lord is, uh, in my version, it's all caps, signifying that it's Yahweh, signifying that it's the, the, the words I am when, when the Lord gave his name. And verse six says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you are in our midst. Lord, would you unveil yourself? Lord, we pray, would you uh, just give your presence to us, reveal yourself to us so that we might know you, the God of love, the God that is slow to anger, compassionate, glorious, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. Lord, we pray this in your name. We ask it in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people at New Life Manitou shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, we're embarking on a pretty big journey here. We're starting a very big sermon series. It'll bring us on into almost into the summer. And so where you begin says a lot about where you're going and how you're going to get there. Think about a novel. Anybody read books? Anybody like fiction? Okay, good. That's great. Uh, a good masterful piece of fiction starts off and you should really pay close attention to the first couple lines, the first couple sentences, certainly the first couple pages, right? Because the author in those words is setting the stage and probably setting the theme for the entire book. And so today I'm setting a theme for us that will be constant through this whole sermon series. It's going to go through Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we'll be talking about the Father up until uh, just about the, the days leading into Easter. And so during Lent, some of you know, the days leading into Easter are Lent. We'll talk about the Son. And then after Resurrection Sunday, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. And so that's this sermon series. And the theme along the way is God loves you. God loves you. He's chasing you down all through scripture. We see people rebelling, people walking away from God and all through scripture again and again, we see the Lord in his love going to people, finding them, bringing them up, leading him, leading people to salvation. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he is Relentless. That's the theme that will be throughout this whole sermon series as we define who God is. So if you want to know someone, let's say uh, there's two people dating, right? A guy and a girl, or maybe it's before they're dating, before they're like official, they're getting to know each other. It might be helpful to like learn some facts about that person. Like you could go to their Facebook page and Facebook stalk them and like, oh, these are their interests. This is where they worked. This is where they graduated high school. And you could just find out about them. But is that getting to know that person? No, 
not really. Like, the, you, how do you get to know someone? Well, you get, really get to know someone by engaging in the story of their life. And isn't it interesting, if you open up the pages of scripture, page one just jumps in to the story of God. Have you ever thought about that? Like the whole book of Genesis just kind of jumps in and assumes you know this God who is the creator. The book of Genesis does not open up with lines like God is omnipresent, God is omnipotent, God is omniscient. Instead, it just begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens. And you think, oh, the heavens, yeah. It's, you look up in the stars and scientists say, who knows how many others? Maybe there's billions. You know what a billion is? I don't. I have no idea what a billion is. But the one who created the stars and the earth, he created and said, let there be light. And on day one, day two, day, we just like jump into this story. For instance, like, like day six, he creates the human beings and they rebel against him. You know the story of Adam and Eve, right? I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, what's, <laughs> not spoilerly, spoiler alerting the story, right? The story of Adam and Eve. You guys are with me, right? So they are told not to eat of the fruit. What do they do? They eat the fruit. And then they like run and hide like a little kid on his bed with a blanket over his head. They run and hide. And God kind of almost seemingly like plays along, like comes in, sits down. Where are you? <laughs> as, if, as if the good loving dad doesn't know that the kid's right there under the blanket. And Adam and Eve and God have this conversation. And, and God says, well, how do you know you're naked? How, where, well, why are you feeling this shame? And Adam and Eve go on to tell the Lord that they did what they were not supposed to do. The very first story, have you ever thought about this? The very first story in the Bible is people rebelling and God running after them in his love. That's how scripture opens. And the book of Genesis is just one story after another, jumping right into who God is by his acts. People are messing up. People are rebelling. People are turning from God. And again, and again, and again, God runs after them in his love. And it's not until the second book of the Bible. What's the second book of the Bible? Exodus, that we find God making statements about himself. And the very first one, this scene where Moses comes to a burning bush, do you know this scene? And God speaks to him, take your shoes off, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And I have seen your misery. I have seen what the Egyptians have done to you. I am going to rescue you. I love you. My name is I am. So tell them that you are being sent by I am. I am that I am has sent you. And that name in Hebrew is Yahweh. And usually in most uh, versions of the Bible that I know, whenever you see a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, a capital D, you should know that that is Yahweh. That is the name that the Lord gave to his people. Think about this. Uh, the Lord loves you. God loves you. I'm saying this point again and again. I don't want you to leave here uh, and missing this. The Lord loves you. God loves you. And what do people do? Well, people begin to, to rebel and turn from the Lord. Think about the story of Moses. So Moses hears the voice of the Lord in the, in the, de in the desert, in the burning bush. He goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people 
go. And he doesn't. And so there's the 10 plagues. And he keeps saying, let my people go. Finally, they do. The Pharaoh and his armies lets the people go. They get up to the Red Sea. What happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. They run in, the sea is split, the water stands up like a wall, people walk through, and then on the other side, what happens? They begin to grumble. They ask Moses, what if you brought us out here to die? And they begin to turn away from the Lord. So what does the Lord do? He rains down manna for the people to eat. He gives them birds and flocks come. He gives them meat and choice meat. And then the people complain some more. There's no water out here. So what happens? He they strikes a rock and water gushes out. Streams flow abundantly in the desert. The Lord takes care of his people. And then Moses goes up on the mountain with Joshua to receive the commandments. He's up there for 40 days. What do the people do when Moses is up on the hill, up on the mountain? They build, they take off their earrings, they take off their necklaces, they're melted down into a gold calf. What? Like, we could look at those people and say, that's so stupid, why would you do that? But isn't there something in all of us that is like bent on turning from God? But isn't it also beautiful that every time we see this happen in the Bible, the Lord comes running to these people with his love. So let's pick up this story. Look at Exodus 32. This is the buildup to the passage we already read about where God says he is uh, the slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in love. Exodus 32, 17. Moses and Joshua are on the mountain. They're coming down. Verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's the sound of war at the camp. And Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Moses done messed up here. <laughs> Have you ever been angry? It's pretty embarrassing. Have you ever been angry and enraged, thrown something? I think maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's just a human thing. Like I've been there and it's embarrassing. And Moses breaks the tablets that God himself wrote on. You ever break something you weren't supposed to break? As a kid, uh, my mom and dad are probably watching online. Uh, I broke uh, a window once. We were told not to play baseball by the window. We played baseball by the window and broke it. Uh, there was like a vase thing. It was really nice. My mom got it from Greece when she was in that country. And me and my brother were horsing around, knocked it over, psh, broke. There's like a clock crystal thing. We broke that too. Me and my brother were always horsing around, breaking stuff. But at least I didn't break tablets that God himself wrote on. Moses broke the tablet. I mean, think about the value of those things. God himself wrote on them. It's God's work on there. And God, uh, you would think, is like really upset. And, and maybe he is. He calls Moses back up to the mountain. Imagine getting a call. Like, let's say you have a job and you have a boss and you've really messed up. And the boss sends you a note saying, be ready in the morning. This is Exodus 34 too. Be ready in the morning and come up to my office. Present yourself to me there and make sure no one is coming with you and no one sees you coming up to my office. You would be like, no, no way. 
I'm quitting. There's no way. I'm getting up early in the morning, making sure no one sees me come up to your office because I know I've messed up. I know I done messed up horrible and I know you're going to fire me and I know you're going to give it to me and it's going to be horrible. There's no way I'm going up there. But Moses, he goes. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. And Moses goes up to the mountain and you can just imagine like what's about to happen. What is the Lord going to say What is the Lord going to do? It says he comes down. This is the passage we read in Exodus 34. Comes down in a cloud and stands before Moses and his presence passes by. And what is he going to say? What is this God going to do? Well, here's what he says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Consider that. Consider the buildup to the story and where these words are coming from God to Moses, who has just messed up. He's leading a people who have just messed up. He's smashed some tablets that God wrote on in his anger. And the Lord reminds him of how compassionate and how loving he is. I started off this sermon saying, who is God? Well, here, this is God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. That's who God is. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness. You know, this verse is very special in the Old Testament. This Exodus 34, six and seven, the verse I've been reading here. It's like, this is maybe a silly comparison, but it's like the John three sixteen of the New Testament. Y'all know John 16, right? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's the verse uh, people hold up at football games, John 3, 16. I remember first finding out this verse, like, why is that guy holding that? What's that mean? What is JN 3 colon 16? It's like, oh, that's a verse. It means God loves us. Oh, and he sent a son. Of course, it's the most popular verse in the New Testament and maybe should be. It's, It's got good reason to be. This verse is the most popular, most quoted, important verse of the Old Testament, that God, he is the one who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in in love, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving rebellion and sin. God loves you. That's who God is. He's the one who really loves you. And it's the kind of love we find out in the New Testament, the kind of God love, the Greek word is, do you know the Greek word starts with an A? Agape, yeah, it's this kind of love that is charity, this kind of love that's selfless kind of love. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. You know this verse, uh, the Exodus verse, where it says God is compassionate and gracious. That is thrown back in God's face by one of the Bible characters in the Old Testament. Do you guys know the story of Jonah? Oftentimes people think it's, oh, it's just the the kid's story where some guy gets swallowed by a whale and then he gets spit out and it's happily ever after, right? That's the story of Jonah, right? Well, that's, that's what happens in the book of Jonah. But the book of Jonah is actually a deep theological like it's, it's high level, religious, deep, philosophical letter. It's just four chapters. It's the book of the Bible. It's just four chapters. And in it, we see this character, Jonah, being told to go to these Ninevites 
who are horrible people, who are wicked, who are enemies of Israel, Jonah and Jonah's people. They're like, if you look up the Ninevites in history, like they were the worst. Their armies were the worst. They had no mercy. They were horrible people. And God told Jonah, go preach against them. Go say that God's wrath is going to be poured out in the Ninevites. And you would think, like if those were your enemies and you're being told, go tell them God's wrath is going to be poured out, you would think Jonah would be like, oh, I'm the first to do that. That sounds like a fun job. I would love to go preach against those Ninevites. But instead, what does Jonah do? He goes the exact opposite way. That's how he ends up on a boat. That's how he ends up in like a fish's mouth getting spit out. And then towards the end of the book, we do find out that Jonah goes to the Ninevites. And this whole time we're wondering like, why didn't you go to Nineveh? Why were you running away? The text doesn't say until we get to Jonah 4-2. Look at this. Because he knew, he knew, he knew Jonah knew that this was this is what God is like. It's a quotation being thrown back into God's face. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. I knew that you were slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so I knew, Jonah is saying, I knew that if I preached to these Ninevites, they would turn and then the Lord, you would forgive them because that's what you do, God. That's what you do. You forgive even these horrible, nasty, wicked Ninevites. I knew that you were slow to anger, compassionate. And you might think that's, that. I mean, Jonah thought that was bad news that the Lord is loving, but isn't that really good news? Isn't that good news for us that the Lord is chasing after us, that the Lord is hunting us down in his love? I began this sermon saying, who is God? Well, he's the God of love. He's the God who loves us. Let me share with you a a poem. I'll just kind of um, look at different verses here. It's a very special poem to me. I've mentioned this poem before. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Anybody know this poem? It's about God being like a hound chasing people down. He's the hound of heaven chasing people down. And that actually is really good news because God is loving and compassionate. The poem is written by Francis Thompson in the 1800s, and he was a Christian, a believer, but really struggled with an opium addiction. And some people in, have compared the opium addiction in the United States now with the opium addiction of the 1800s in London specifically. And there was all these people getting addicted to opioids because doctors, like they are today, seemed to be just prescribing it for anything. And so people got addicted. And so this guy, Francis Thompson, had a lifelong addiction, a battle. He was a junkie. He was in and out of homelessness, living in parks, um, writing poems. He had a gift for, for English. He had a gift for writing and poetry but in and out of the most horrible circumstances as a drug addict. And he writes this poem. It becomes his most famous poem. Um, And he says in the beginning of the poem, it says, I fled him. He's talking about fleeing from God. Fled him down the days, down the nights. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my own mind in the midst of tears. I hid from him. In under running laughter, I hid from him. His whole life, this poem goes on to say, he wanted to find love. He wanted to find hope. He wanted to find freedom and goodness and glory and, and, and love. But he was running from God, thinking that God was gonna 
punish him, thinking that God was his enemy. And so he, he did everything he could to run away from God. And at the end of the poem, as he's stumbling through life, as he's stumbling trying to find love and not finding it, he falls to the ground, unable to get up. And the Lord, this hound of heaven, this loving God, finally catches up to him and reaches out with a loving hand and says, you have been driving me away. You've been driving love away. You've been trying to find love and driving me away, but here I am. I am love. You who drove love away have driven me away, but I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to come after you with my love. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he's relentless. One last story. Um, Because I really see this whole thing, this God loving us and chasing after us as the message of the whole Bible. In fact, there's a translation of the Bible called the message. And some of you know, it's a uh, paraphrase and some people are big fans of that because it makes it really easy to read. And some people are like, well, let's be careful because it's not, you know, it is a paraphrase. We should take it for what it is. I get that. I happen to be a fan of the message Bible by by Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson started as a pastor uh, because he's a, a scholar of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic languages. He started off as a pastor writing uh, translations of the Psalms. He would take some of the Psalms. Um, the, the NIV wasn't around yet. Uh, other translations, Living Bible wasn't around yet. So he had the KJV, he had the original texts, and he was writing translations of the Psalms and giving them and reading them to his congregation. And it was really helpful for the congregation because they just thought, oh, here's the way we would say these words. And Psalms led into him writing other books and translating other books and then getting a book deal and, and getting to translate the whole Bible. And he became quite famous. I mean, this translation was, was all the rage in the late 1990s, and Eugene Peterson got to speak everywhere. He got to meet the band U2, which was really big back in the day, and Bono, and Eugene Peterson would have meetings, and Bono himself would talk about how awesome the message is. So Eugene Peterson became pretty famous in Christian circles. Well, Eugene Peterson died just a couple years ago in 2018, and his son at the funeral read a poem. His son's name is Leif Peterson, and his son read a poem about his dad. And it kind of sounds at first like he's slamming his dad, but really it's an honoring poem. And he says, Dad, uh, it's almost laughable. This is the poem. How you fooled them all. How for 30 years you fooled everybody. And he goes on in this poem saying, you always made people feel like you had some new, fresh thing to say. It was like you were a magician pulling out words, divine words for people. And everybody thought you had new, fresh ideas, but you were fooling them. Because I knew, his son knew, that all Eugene was ever saying was one message. At potlucks, in counseling appointments, in sermons, in books that he would write, in pastoral leadership, at conferences. You fooled everybody thinking you always had something new to say, but you only had one message. And I heard you say it so many times. And he says, you would steal away and come into my room at night and you would whisper lovingly into my ear the message that God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. 
Would you stand with me this morning?